International SOS has recently conducted an in-country assessment of the security situation in Peru. The country has seen a wave of protest after President Castillo was removed from office and his vice president, Dina Boate, took power. Well, we'll be discussing those protests as well as the likelihood of more to come and find out about the varying levels of crime across the country. Lima is considered to be perhaps the city in the country most impacted by crime. The crime situation both in Cusco and across the south in general is very, very low. It's a, quite a world of difference between Lima uh, and northern cities. The country is also suffering from its worst outbreak of dengue fever, which recently led to the resignation of the country's health minister. In 2022, there were 63,000 cases total. And as of this month of this year, we've already seen over 150,000 cases with almost 250 deaths. Hello and welcome to this Global Situation podcast from International SOS, the leading medical and security risk services company. I'm Chris Giles. This is the podcast where we provide you with timely analysis and tactical insight for your organization. Well, joining us for this episode is David Keysbay, International SOS's Lead Security Analyst for South America and our Medical Director for the Americas, Dr. Al Castanio. So, David, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. I know you've just come back from Peru. What can you tell us about the increasing levels of crime in Lima? The crime situation in Peru is, is pretty complex and, as you mentioned, varies in terms of the situation in the capital Lima and elsewhere in the country. Lima is the capital and largest city, and it's home to over a third of the population in the entire country. It's also received a, a large influx of migration from other countries in the region, including Venezuela. And all of this migration, as well as recent economic turbulence in the COVID-19 pandemic, has led to a, an increase in crime in the city. Lima is considered to be perhaps the city in the country most impacted by crime. We recommend that travel and, and workforce operating in Lima continue to exercise standard precautions, particularly in the central areas of the city, San Isidro and Miraflores. The situation is still relatively stable, but they do need to be extra cautious of journeys throughout other parts of the cities and avoid kind of these higher crime risk areas. And how does that compare to other areas that you went to? One thing that really struck me when I arrived in Cusco in terms of a contrast with Lima was seeing everyone just out very carefree with their phones snapping pictures all across the city, something that you really aren't going to see in, in most parts of Lima due to the increased and, and persistent threat of uh, petty crime, cell phone theft. When I spoke to not only my cab driver, but different providers and contacts we had in Cusco, is that they reiterated that the crime situation both in Cusco and across the south in general is very, very low. It's a, quite a world of difference between Lima uh, and northern cities. Cusco, obviously, the tourism industry is the, the engine that runs its economy. So they take extra steps in terms of providing a safe and, and clean environment for, for tourists. But even in areas like Arequipa or, or more rugged cities like Juliaca, Puno, and, and Tacna, violent crime just isn't an issue. In the north, which uh, unfortunately I did not have the chance to visit, but my contacts in Lima communicated to me that the situation there is, while in some instances not as bad as Lima, it's considerably more significant than in southern regions. So there are locally based gangs that do operate in cities like Trujillo, Chiclayo, Chimbote, and Piura. So there uh, we really would recommend measures to maintain a low profile, avoiding displays of wealth or a carefree use of phones in public, pre-planning transportation, making sure you're aware of the locations you're going to, a point to point, and making sure these are not going through kind of outlying parts of the city. David, there's been a number of recent protests in Peru. So I, I wondered, did you see any while you were there? And what's been the impact of the protests and will there be any more in the future? 
So I was able to visit Plaza San Martin when I arrived in, in Lima, which was the center of protest activity there. And everything was very normal. I can't say quiet because as a central part of the city, there was a lot of activity, traffic, different street performances, but there was not a, a sense of, uh, of protest activity. And the different contexts I spoke with as well seemed to indicate that the impact of the past protests in Lima itself was actually fairly low outside of the city center. So people I spoke with in, uh, in San Isidro, which is the, the business center of the country, said that their lives and activity were really not affected at all. And one person even told me that had they not been watching TV, they probably wouldn't have even noticed that uh, protests in Lima were happening. I think this also speaks to the political context in the city that was very much apathetic to the protest movement that we saw has a lot of strength in the South and that the protests in Lima were to a large extent carried out by protesters that traveled from the South to Lima. And due to kind of logistical considerations that they just weren't able to send enough people, they didn't have much support in Lima. And even on the days that were called for a, a large strike demonstrations, these had a pretty limited impact and the police were able to effectively contain the demonstrations. This varies considerably with the situation in the South. When I arrived in Cusco, I could see graffiti in, in some cases, but signs posted against President Boluarte and the people I spoke with. Some people, like some of my taxi drivers, were more sympathetic to the protest movement and other people, such as different intergovernmental organizations in Cusco, were clearly not sympathetic to the protests. But all of them, regardless of who I spoke with, the impact of the protests was very palpable. That said, there is not an expectation that these protests take hold again in the near future, short to medium term. Particularly in Cusco, this is largely due to the high tourist season, which is, runs now through September. And the different social groups uh, in Cusco are very conscious of the impact of the tourism industry and how negative it would be to disrupt that, With especially when you compare that to December and January, which, while still very important, is pretty much the low season for tourism there. And when I passed through Juliaca and Puno, which was the kind of the focal point of a lot of the protests where most of the protest deaths occurred. You could also notice the strong anti-government sentiment and even heard people on the bus that I took as I was going to the Bolivian border talk about their, their support for the upcoming Lima takeover protest on July 19th, which is likely to have moderate participation from these groups. Again, as I mentioned, Lima is such a big city that it's unlikely this will have a significant impact on the security environment or even road movements in Lima. Talking about the protests, President Dina Boate took power while they were happening. So now they've calmed a little. How do you think people are viewing her now? So you're right. It was a very chaotic start to her presidency. Uh, as soon as she took office, these protests began and escalated, uh, particularly with the response by the police and armed forces uh, that resulted in over 50 protesters being killed. And that has since received international condemnation. Though, as I mentioned at the beginning, it was very chaotic and uncertain as to whether she would resign, whether there would be calls for new elections. She has slowly but surely increased the stability of her government. And that's something that I saw a consensus of in the people I spoke with while both in Lima and Cusco. And she also recently declared her intention to remain in office through 2026. And that surprisingly has not prompted any increased calls for protests, which you would have expected since people were calling for her immediate resignation and calls for new congressional and presidential elections. But the people I spoke with said that the fact that she was able to weather that storm, as well as other recent incidents, such as weather concerns related to El Nino, which caused quite a bit of flooding and landslides in the country, as well as a recent dengue outbreak in the northern part of the country, that she's been able to manage these different situations on different fronts, 
and they have individually not been able to disrupt her government or destabilize it enough. So the people we've spoke with uh, indicate that it's highly likely that she will, in fact, continue her term through 2026. David, there's been lots of incidents of flooding recently in Peru, and that's led to increasing amounts of dengue, which we're going to be addressing shortly. But I wanted to ask, what's your assessment of how prepared the country is when it comes to a major incident and perhaps even something like a potential earthquake, for example? It's definitely an important concern. That is one thing that was relayed to me by uh, context we have there as well, is that the government's response to incidents like these is oftentimes very reactive. We saw that even with the protests that took place, there wasn't much of a coordinated strategy. It was basically just uh, throwing the police and armed forces at the situation, which resulted in the deaths that are so famous now. Similarly, we've heard that this is a general tendency of the Peruvian government, and there are concerns as to how prepared it would be in the event of a, of a significant incident. Lima and other parts of coastal Peru are considered uh, seismically active, so there is quite a bit of concern about how the government would or would not be prepared to react. And there's a concern that in a similar fashion, the government doesn't have a proper plan in place to respond to a major incident at the moment and would likely struggle to stabilize an incident with a large humanitarian impact. Okay, thanks for now, David. Let's turn our attention to another big problem, which is facing people in Peru, and that's the big increase in dengue fever. International SOS's medical director for the Americas, Dr. Al Castaño, is here. Now, Al, Peru has seen twice as many cases of dengue already this year compared to 12 months ago, and a state of emergency has been declared. So can you say why it's become such a big problem? Yes, sure. There's been an increase in dengue cases throughout the Americas. And Peru in particular, obviously, has seen a substantial increase as well. In 2022, there were 63,000 cases total. And as of this month of this year, we've already seen over 150,000 cases with almost 250 deaths. Dengue is a risk throughout the country, particularly at elevations that are below 2,300 meters. Mosquitoes are not prevalent in areas uh, that are at higher elevation, but it typically occurs during the rainy season, which is from January to July. So we're in the midst of it right now. Again, the mention of flooding that has occurred as a result of El Nino and increased rain during the rainy season certainly promotes more mosquitoes, uh, which obviously are the vector that uh, transmits dengue diseases in particular. The Ministry of Health has declared a health emergency in Peru at present, and they're intensifying vector control measures to help eradicate the mosquito that transmits the disease. So now the health emergency has been declared. How serious a problem is dengue and what are the symptoms to look out for? Dengue is spread by mosquito bites. Uh, it can cause a range of symptoms. Most of the time it is a self-limiting disease. Uh, it can certainly cause fever. It can cause headache. A rash sometimes is commonly seen. In very severe cases, which are rare, it can have fatal complications. And that's particularly in infants. It can be passed on in pregnancy to the unborn fetus. And those that get severe infections are those that have had dengue before. There are four different serotypes, which are strains of dengue. So when you get dengue, you get bitten by the mosquito. It's not transmitted from person to person. You need to be bitten by the mosquito that carries the viral entity itself to spread the disease. And uh, it'll manifest itself over the course of a week, presenting as what they call breakbone fever because you get uh, significant pain in your joints and your bones, a high fever, headache, pain behind your eyes. And it usually follows with a rash in a small number of people, particularly those that have had dengue before. 
they can evolve to get uh, with a more serious version of the disease that is called dengue hemorrhagic fever. And that's the one that can unfortunately be fatal in a small percentage of individuals. There is no cure for dengue. The treatment is basically symptomatic treatment to manage the fever per se, symptom control to control pain and discomfort until the symptoms eventually subside. What advice could you offer to people to help them avoid getting bitten by mosquitoes? Uh, For the most part, wearing clothes that cover most of your body, long sleeves, long pants, socks, during the time that uh, the disease is most prevalent, which is uh, from now until the end of the rainy season, which happens to be in July. There are insect repellents that you can use, actually, uh, those that have active ingredients such as DET or Picardin to help prevent and repel mosquito bites. Maintaining yourself indoors in air-conditioned rooms as much as possible, particularly at nighttime when more mosquitoes seem to be prevalent that can transmit the disease. Windows covered with screens, uh, if possible. Those are the main things to prevent getting it from mosquito bites. There is a vaccine that is uh, not frequently available, but it is certainly available for people that have had dengue before. Given we're seeing surging dengue cases, do you think it's something that we're all going to have to get used to in this part of the world? We know that historically there's been epidemics that occur every three to five years with any of these viral diseases. We've seen it with dengue, we've seen it with Zika, we've seen it with chikungunya, which are also similar viral diseases. We don't know if this falls into that same pattern, but certainly the increased numbers that we're seeing are alarming. And certainly the increased measures to help eradicate the vector itself, which are the only real measures to decrease the morbidity and mortality of the disease that is noted, need to be enforced. David, I just wanted to ask you then, Peru's health minister has resigned as the country struggles to control the dengue fever outbreak. Do you think it's likely to have an impact on how people in Peru are feeling about the situation? So the short answer is no, it's, it's unlikely. There certainly has been criticism around Boluarte's handling of the dengue outbreak in the political and public sphere. But we've also got to remember during the height of protests, there were also several ministers that resigned of culture and a couple other and were actually critical of the government's response. Nevertheless, Boluarte was still able to to weather the storm and uh, did not ultimately have an escalating impact in that regard. It's also noteworthy that the, the current dengue outbreak is in the northern part of the country, which is not an area that was particularly mobilized in the the recent protests. As such, she's been able to kind of manage these different situations and different geographical fronts, and it's not considered to be a a threat to her long-term stability. Okay, David, thanks so much for your analysis and advice. And Al, thank you too. No problem. Certainly always a pleasure. Well, you can keep up to date on the latest information and alerts for the situation in Peru on our website, internationalsos.com. And from there, you can find out about our global network of assistance centres available to clients 24-7. But for now, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.